Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. The Soul of Business with Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to The Soul of Business on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero for the Workday Afternoon. I am joined on the phone by Sam Stevens, brand ambassador, Bolu Vineyards. Sam, welcome to the show. Clarissa, thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be with you. It is, you know, a Friday. It is time to let your hair down and, and have a little bit of uh, fun and a lifestyle skew. And since it is the 4th of July weekend to all Americans celebrating, I hope you have a fantastic uh, weekend. We're starting our weekend here right now. Bolu Vineyard sent me a beautiful basket, three bottles of wine, a selection of cheeses and crackers. I can't wait to dive into it. But tell us, Sam, all about this iconic, some would say legendary vineyard. Set the stage for us. Tell us everything. How did they, over the last 120 plus years, put themselves into the hearts and minds of wine fans? Absolutely, Clarissa. Well, um, the story of Beaulieu Vineyards is one that I really love to tell. And as you say, we were established in 1900, so 120 years of winemaking history. And we were established by a Frenchman called Georges Delatour, who was very familiar with wine from his background in France. And he moved over to California and was spending time in the Napa Valley and Sonoma, just next to Napa, and fell in love with the region. He saw the potential for quality wine because of the amazing climate and weather and soil and topography that Napa Valley has. And, you know, we were discussing that you visited the Napa Valley. It is also a truly beautiful spot as well. It's not just great for viticulture. So George moved there, uh, particularly to a place called Rutherford, which is right in the heart of the Napa Valley region. And there he purchased a property. And his wife, Fernand, had not seen the property before she actually came up and visited after he'd bought it. So George was understandably slightly nervous when he first got Fernand out of the car and kind of presented her with what was going to be Beaulieu Vineyard and said, this is what we now own. And the first thing that she said was, quel Beaulieu, which in French means what a beautiful place. And that was the name that stuck. So Beaulieu Vineyard became uh, became into being and the original winery was uh, built on that site along with the home for George Delatour and his wife. So they fell in love with the Napa, they jumped into winemaking there, and they were really going great guns up until 1920. And for people who know American history, in 1920, something catastrophic happened to the wine industry. Prohibition. Prohibition, (laughs) exactly right. You know, where suddenly the sale, production and consumption of alcohol was outlawed, and this lasted 13 years. So, you know, business people will know that if you're heart and soul of your industry is to make and sell alcohol and suddenly that becomes illegal it really puts you in a very tough position but fortunately George Delatour and his wife had developed very good relationships with the Catholic Church and you were still allowed to make wine to sell to the Catholic Church for the sacrament on Sunday so while many other wineries were unfortunately going out of business and having to sell up during prohibition Bodhi Vineyards are actually thriving and they were able to purchase more vineyards and they actually expanded their winery to be four times bigger by the end of Prohibition. And they also had this amazing store of about 8 million bottles of wine that they'd made during Prohibition that was suddenly mature and ready for sale 
in the mid-1930s. So they really sort of went from strength to strength during Prohibition, and more than 90% of all of the Californian wineries actually had to close down during this time. So we're very fortunate that this relationship allowed BV to continue to flourish. As a Catholic myself, I wholly support (laughs) sacramental wines. (laughs) One of the best parts of service. Um, (laughs) But don't tell my priest I said that. The Napa Valley region has, over a rather long period of time, of course, nowhere as long as, as the French wine growers, but 120 years is a nice long time to establish a reputation. The area has got some beautiful wines. They come up with some award-winning wines. Tell us more about it. What is it about Napa Valley, their reputation for making very easy-to-enjoy wines, particularly reds? What is it about the region that makes it so good for growing? So it's a great question, and it really is the diversity of the region in terms of the types of soil that you'll find in the Napa Valley. There's hundreds of different types of soil in what is actually a very small area. But one of the things that Napa Valley in particular and that whole western coast of California really flourishes from or benefits from is the fact that you've got the Pacific Ocean sitting just off the west coast and that sends lovely cool breezes and even these beautiful mists that come in in the morning. So you get this wonderful combination of hot, sunny days. And I'm sure everybody's familiar with that term that it's always sunny in California. It's true. It's a beautiful, temperate place. You get lovely sunshine in the afternoon. But during the early mornings and overnight, you get these cool breezes and mist that come in off the Pacific Ocean that actually cool the area down a lot. So when you're making grapes or growing grapes, that allows you to get lots of ripeness and fruit-driven character coming through because of the warm, sunny afternoons. But those cool, misty mornings allow you to have this lovely freshness and acidity that's retained in the grapes. And to make really good wine, you need to have this balance. You don't want it to be too fruity and too heavy, but you also don't want it to be too acidic and too thin because it's not going to be enjoyable. And because of this difference in daytime and nighttime temperature and this mist coming in, the Napa Valley is actually able to plant many types of grape varietals and get them to that perfect level of ripeness where they have both that lovely round fruit-driven character, but they also have that freshness and that structure. And balance is, is the hallmark of any great wine. Now, I've gone on winery tours in Napa Valley, Yarra Valley, not so much in Europe because they're not so welcoming there for um, tourists like us. But one of the things that I have come to know as I've been on these tours is that the grapes are very delicate. Climate, the wrong rain at the wrong point of the growing season could decimate the crop that year. So my question becomes, how does climate change impact growing and wine production? It's obviously a big concern for everybody in the wine trade. And one thing that we find with with climate change is what we're getting are more extremes of weather. You can't just say that it's getting hotter every single year. What it might mean is you're getting unseasonable rain at a different time. And just as you said, rain at the wrong time or not enough rain. There's so many delicate balances. One thing that we are fortunate with in the Napa Valley is the diversity of grapes that we grow. And if you have a year that maybe isn't so great for your Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot actually ripens at a slightly different time and a different rate. So maybe it will be a better year for Merlot or maybe your white wines or your Pinot Noirs. So by having so many different grape varieties being grown in the Napa Valley itself, and particularly for BV, we have Chardonnay, we have Merlot, we have Cabernet. In our range, it might mean that some years one grape is slightly stronger, so it will take up more 
dominance in a blend or maybe you focus more of your production on there. Whereas if you're in a region that has got a lot stricter rules and says that you can only grow certain grapes, then you will actually be sort of a little bit more susceptible to those changes in, in weather. But obviously climate change is something that's on everybody's mind, us in particular, but we are fortunate in the Napa that the diversity of climate and everything like that is allowing us to mitigate it in some senses. And you've also got big changes in topography and altitude in the Napa Valley. So maybe in a hot year, you'll source more from your vineyards that are further up a mountain that are slightly cooler. And in a cool year, you can maybe focus more on the valley floor, where it's naturally slightly warmer as well. So diversity of the region is a real strong point for the Napa Valley and BV in particular when it comes to being able to sort of ride out those uh, vagaries of the vintages. But then, of course, you also get the years where the stars align and you, you get to make those supersonic wines that win all of the awards and get the 100-point scores from the critics. So there's definitely uh, ups and downs in terms of the, the climate and how you deal with it. All right. We're speaking with Sam Stevens, brand ambassador, Bolio Vineyards. Now let's talk about some wines. I received this beautiful basket. There's three bottles of wine in there uh, and I, I'm wondering if I know next to nothing about California wines start me off explain to me why you start with the whites why you start with a lighter red and, and move that way and then we'll talk about pairings as well in just a little while absolutely so so just in terms of you know, moving through the wines what we normally suggest you do is you move from what are the the lightest bodied and flavored wines through to the heaviest. So normally your white wines, if they're dry, will be the lightest out of your selection. So we would always say you should start with the white wine. In your case, you have our California Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Then you have the California Merlot. Now Merlot is, is very famous for being quite soft, quite fruit driven. It maybe doesn't have the power and the richness and the intensity of something like the Cabernet Sauvignon that you also have. But what that means is it's very drinkable. It's very versatile with food. Merlot is traditionally a grape that you could have with lighter white meat dishes as well as richer, more full-bodied red meat dishes or maybe vegetarian dishes that have got a lot of seasoning to them. Merlot is very versatile, but it's not as heavy as the Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, which is the third wine that you've got there. And Cabernet Sauvignon generally has a fuller body. That means it's more powerful. It coats the palate with more flavor. And therefore, you probably want to have that with richer, more powerful foods. So normally you'd think if you're following a logical course with with eating, the flavor and the intensity of flavor in your meal will probably grow as you go on. And so we recommend you do that when you're tasting the wines. But we also do recommend that people do, you know, go back to a white wine maybe if they just want to see how that would taste with a different meal where we're not trying to put hard and fast rules around food and wine matching. But we'd always recommend if you just want to taste the wines at their best, Start with the lightest, usually the white wines, then move through to your lighter-bodied, medium-bodied reds, and finally finish off with your more full-bodied, heavier red wines. Right. Okay. Now, all of this is is making me wish I had been (laughs) able to attend the virtual masterclass yesterday. I missed it. Tell us what I missed. So we had a wonderful session yesterday where we tried the three wines. So we started off with the Beaulieu Vineyard Chardonnay. This is the prestige label, California source. So that means that we are pulling fruit not just from the Napa, but from some of the cooler coastal regions and also the warmer Central Valley of California. And this gives us a lovely balance of ripe fruit like peach and apricot, very sort of stone fruit and juicy. But you've also got this lovely fresh apple and citrus acidity in the wine as well. So we had this and we started off with this fresh but fruit-driven white. 
And we actually match that with a really lovely brie that you should have in your uh, box that we've sent you as well. So this idea of food matching, we meant we wanted to start with the creamier, lighter flavoured cheese that was the brie. And we found that the moment you had the Chardonnay and the brie together, the cheese tasted creamier and richer and the wine actually tasted fruitier than when you just had the two of them by themselves. So that was our lead into yesterday's virtual tasting was the Chardonnay and the brie, which went down very well with the attendees. Okay, so what you're saying is if I'm drinking a white and it's quite fruity, then creamier, lighter cheeses go better with it? Absolutely, yes. So a very simple rule with food and wine matching is generally if you've got big, strong flavours in your food, you probably need a bigger, stronger flavour in your wine. So if we were, say, to go with a really rich blue cheese or a cheddar, it would probably be too powerful for a white wine, whereas something like brie is always regarded as one of the more elegant, creamier, lighter-flavoured cheeses. And the reason the cheese is such a great thing to match with wine is you've got everything from very light, easy to sort of eat goat's cheese through to big, pungent blue cheeses. The same with wine. You've got light, delicate white wines all the way through to hugely tannic, intense, oaky red wines. So there's everything along the way. Now, one of the the most popular red wines in Singapore is the Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. What is the best cheese to pair it with then? So the Cabernet that you've got in your pack there is the BV Napa Valley Cabernet. Now, Mm. this is sitting at the premium level, which means that it's higher quality grapes that have naturally got a more intensity of flavour. And this is a wine that has spent upwards of a year in oak barrels. So that adds another layer of intensity. So, of course, the best cheese to go along with a richer, more full-bodied Cabernet is going to be a more powerful cheese. And we've got the lovely Black Bomber cheddar in the box there. So this is a mature cheddar with that really tangy, salty, cheddary flavour to it. It's a wine, It's sorry, it's a cheese. It's still got creaminess, but it is very sharp and very tangy. And what we found there is that saltiness and that tanginess of the cheese really helped bring out that vibrant blackcurrant fruit of the Cabernet, but also the really nice sweet vanilla spice that the oak ageing has given the wine. So the fact that you had powerful flavours on the cheese really helped elevate those powerful flavours in the Cabernet Sauvignon. So that would be my match, would be a really nice mature cheddar with a Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay, I'm going to have to try that one because I love a good, strong, full-bodied, mature cheddar. Absolutely. That was my favourite. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. I definitely am trying that one then. Okay, now we are, of course, Money FM 89.3, so I have to ask. These sound like good wines. It's a nice old winery. What kind of price points are people expecting to pay through the, the product ranges? Absolutely. So what we generally find with the BV range is the Prestige California range is our entry level. That's a wine that you would probably be expecting to pay sort of somewhere between around sort of 20 to $30 retail for. And then we move up into the Napa Valley range where you're sort of sitting more around your 40 to $60. Then we also have our tapestry and our final icon wine called the George Delatour Cabernet Sauvignon. Now, the George Delatour Cabernet is just about to be made in its 80th consecutive vintage the 2016, which will be released shortly. Mm -hmm. And this is regarded as one of the cold Cabernets of the Napa Valley. And this is a wine that would be sitting up around maybe the $150 to $200 price point retail. So it really sits at every single price point. But what you should find is that if you start with the Californian entry-level range, as you move up in quality, you should see greater power, great intensity and greater complexity coming through in the subsequent wines. And that should hopefully justify that step up in, in price as well. But... 
hopefully that entry level price point of sort of twenty to to thirty dollars retail is a great way for people to introduce themselves to BV. Okay, there are some people I know who buy wine by the cases, mm-hmm. sit on it for ten years, and then start to think about drinking it. Are these wines, especially the one that you were talking about, the uh, Georges de la Tour? one that you were talking about, are these wines worth doing that with? Absolutely, yes. As you get up to the higher quality labels, particularly the Tapestry and the George de la Tour Private Reserve Cabernet, these are wines that are designed for the long haul and have a tried and tested track record of ageing and evolving beautifully. There's actually an article in Decanter magazine from a couple of years ago where somebody opened up a 1947 George de la Tour and it was given a, a very high honorific, which was to be named a decanter wine legend. And this was when it was 70 years old. So these are wines that are very much designed to improve with age at the top end. And so if you are a collector, I would seriously recommend putting some BV Tapestry and George de la Tour into your collection because they will... Uh, appreciate hopefully in value but definitely in enjoyment and that's what I always look at with investing in wine it is an investment in enjoyment first and foremost with some financial benefits if you're lucky. Okay very quickly before we run out of time if somebody is considering doing this for the first time Mm -hmm. what are the ideal conditions to then store a case or two or five of wine to consume in five or ten years from now? Absolutely so what you want is consistent cool dark conditions. So here in Singapore, I would say you'd have to have a climate controlled room that would sit somewhere between 15 and 20 degrees all year round and you don't have big ups and downs in temperature. So if you're just starting out, your best investment would be a wine fridge and they are designed to have the perfect humidity and temperature to store wine for the long haul. So I would highly recommend if you don't have an actual cellar, which very few people do with that stable temperature, is to invest in a good quality wine fridge because they can hold up to 120, 140 bottles. Okay, so, and those things aren't that expensive. No. About the price of a fridge fridge. Yes, exactly. And, you know, if you're looking at getting some serious wine, I think you'd see if you... If you buy wine now, in 10 years' time, the value of that wine would pay for your fridge many times over. So if you are seriously thinking about taking up wine collecting, then I would highly recommend the fridge because there's nothing worse than coming across wine that hasn't been stored well because all of that time and patience, let alone the financial investment, can go to waste if the wine is not stored correctly. All right. This has been a great conversation. I can't wait to tuck into the wines and the cheeses. I'm not waiting 10 years to try it. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) We've been speaking with Sam Stevens, brand ambassador, Beaulieu Vineyards, a highly respected Napa Valley vineyard in a pre-4th of July nod to all American winemakers. Sam, thank you for the time. Clarissa, it's been my pleasure. Thank you and have a great weekend. You too. I'm Clarissa Montero for the Workday Afternoon. This is Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.